Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Kino is the center that I went to, and it was an opportunity that I heard about from a friend in Vancouver who was going to be there the two weeks before me, and she was going and suggested it to me, and who can say no to Puerto Rico in March, really? Uh, and so it was a combination of an opportunity to be in a retreat and also to be in a beautiful place. And the Kino Center, which we're going to see a video in a sec, is I heard about, after I read about it, heard a podcast in the New York Times about, from a clergy person. It's a guy named Dan. He was uh, leading a church in the United States, got burned out, got trashed by his congregation, was deeply hurt. And he and his wife took off to Puerto Rico, and they were there for three months. And while they were there, uh, the spirit came over them, and they thought to themselves, we need a place that could be a healing place for ministers or church leaders or pastors who've been hurt for the weary and wounded and people on sabbatical. Okay? So it's also a place you can go to and stay overnight, but it's also a place you can go and focus in, as I did for several sessions with uh, Dan and Tanya. But what was so cool before I, I get to that is an invitation for you to see this short video and invite you to the Kino Center online later to hear this great podcast. But here's a word about the Kino Center in uh, Puerto Rico. Tired and traumatized leaders. Yeah. An opportunity, and it's not just, you could certainly go there. It's not just for ministers. It's for people who want to be conscious. That's key. People who want to have their eyes open. People who want to be awake. People who want to pay attention to their life. And some of the learnings I want to share with you in a few moments about it. But first, I want to show you, um, or have you listen to nighttime. Okay, so pretend it's six o'clock. You've come from a nice day and it gets dark. And I want you to hear the jungle coming alive. Gotta stop that or I risk putting you to sleep. <laughs> At nighttime, the place, the, the night sky would come alive with the sounds of the birds. 
This is the roadway. You can see how wide it is. It, you take your life in your own hands. Uh, beautiful, narrow roads uh, that make your way to uh, where the keynote center is in the jungle, in a rainforest. So the beautiful roads. Next slide. And this is a Kino uh, center, so there's actually only space for, there's four, I'll call them hotel rooms, but four little rooms that you can stay in. And some people come and just overnight for one night, and some are there for a week, which I was. I invite you to the next slide. But it helps to have a swimming pool. Uh, and just beyond the swimming pool there, you can see an outdoor kitchen. And it was so great to have, eat outdoors. You know, the biggest challenge at this center is, is it going to be 28 or 29 today? Like, really? <laughs> Uh, because the weather's between 28 and 29 in the rainforest, rained every day, uh, but beautiful rain that led to sunshine. And I took this picture that takes you on a path into the, into the rainforest. And anybody who's been to something like that knows that the, the green is such an important time. In an Uber, I was having a conversation with a guy who was talking about the Hurricane Maria and how it devastated the island a number of years ago. But this person said, you know, the worst part was it stripped all the trees of the green. He said, we were left with brown and gray. And I said, that's where I live, six months of the year. <laughs> but they said, you know, and the word was something like, the green is so healing, and is it not? The healing of the green. So bathed in the green. And the next slide. So this is Dan and Tanya, the two leaders. And we were looking at uh, personhood, so my own personal understanding of who I am and my place in the world professionally or the work that I do. And these were the two resource people that I was with uh, for four days doing work with them. And now they live there in the Kino Center. And of course, one of the most amazing things in Puerto Rico, which I love, is the beaches are all different and they seem so uninhabited. Uh, and you just find a place and you pluck down and how does that not help heal you? Uh, but the beautiful island and uh, the richness of the water and the sun. I knew in my former life I was a Labrador retriever. When I see water, got to go in. Uh, why I live in Calgary, I'm still wondering about, but the water is such an important part of my life. So the session that I was part of was called The Pain and Possibilities. And it was really looking at your Enneagram number. That's another whole story. But if you know the Enneagram, your uniqueness as a, as a person and how does it fit what motivates you? And so it was looking for me at COVID and what happened in the last three years of my life. Like talk about disruption, shaking, throwing everything up in the air, just as it had for many of you. The disruption of COVID and all that it overturned and shook the foundations of our life. And then how did it get affected in our church world and the work that I do? And so I want to say something about it. And it's not John's travelogue or John's journey, but an invitation for you to listen. Usually I say daydream. I'm going to ask you to listen to the sermon today so that you can do your own work. What they were looking at is what Carl Jung would call the five foundational ego needs. And he talked about it this way. He said that it's like a house. He said, we had a house once that we bought and we purchased, but as we lived in it, everybody was in the family was getting sick and we couldn't figure out why. And they made their way down into a cellar. And in the cellar, the cement walls were covered in black mold. And they realized they were all getting sick because of the black mold at the foundation of the building. So they had to have people come in and excavate and take it all out. And they can still see where the mold was, but the foundation was making them sick. And what he was saying in this course that I was on is that our foundation of our lives can sometimes make us sick later in life. 
unless we pay attention to the blocks of our life and how we've been shaped and formed. It's like Soren Kierkegaard says this, you live your life going forward, but you only understand it by taking time and looking backwards. That's a good thing, to look backward at who you've been and where you've been in your life. It's a good thing. Richard Rohr would say this, well, we don't transform, we transmit. And we're all about the sense of transforming who we are in the world. And so we looked at the Carl Jung's work, a therapist who looked at the archetypes and metaphors of our life and the core beliefs. That's why I asked you about your core beliefs. And these, these foundational pieces are key to everybody's life. And sometimes like the basement, there's mold or a crack that's a wound. And unless we pay attention to it, we might be transmitting out of it ill health for ourselves or for others. The goal of looking at these, as we do these right now, is to be conscious, to be awake. And that's why mindfulness is so important. We're seeing in our culture right now, we're paying attention, we're stepping back, we're getting quiet. We are trying to understand who we are and whose we are in the living of our life. And it's all about being conscious because it's the unconscious that bites us in the butt. The unconscious gets us in trouble. But when we expose light to who we are and see ourselves, our flaw and our gift, we suddenly hold them both together and see them as important. You see, naming a power of something or a power that has over us actually helps us to be conscious and whole in our living. So I want to shed some light on these five uh, ego beliefs, he says, and this is so important in our foundation. So the first one is belonging. We all have as a child this sense in which we, we want to belong. And we may not even articulate it out loud, but we might certainly experience. We say to ourselves, do I fit in here? Do I have a sense of belonging? Am I grounded and rooted? Is this, is this place I am my home? And we have this as a child, and then it gets played out later in our life as we continue to wrestle with this, because everyone in some sense wants to know, where do I belong? Do I fit in here? For some people, this was a cracked piece of their foundation, as it was mine, I'll say in a few moments. The second one is safety. Naturally, people want to feel safe when they're young. Who will take care of me if I get hurt? Do I feel safe in this house, in this place? Sometimes if we don't feel or didn't feel safety, we can be all about anxiety because we are playing out an unsafe experience as a childhood. Dan was saying in the conversation I had with him, he said, when I was a kid, I was bullied. He said, I remember coming home from school one day and I had a bloody nose. My dad said, what happened to you? He said, oh, I got picked on in the hallway. He said, well, we'll fix this. And he taught him how to box. And he sent him off to school. He said, you know that kid. When you see him, you deck him. <laughs> of course, you know, Dan went off and he got to school and he decked him. And suddenly he got decked back and fell down, hit his head, comes home all bruised. And instead, dad, his dad says, so what happened to you? He goes, I got hit. He said, the dad said, you're a wuss. And many people have been bullied when they're kids. Instead of a parent who embraced them and held them and, and came at them with a sense of understanding, sometimes deepen the wound by reminding them that they are a wuss. And so safety is such an important part of people's life. That was safety in your home important? Did you feel it was a safe place? Did you feel it was a place where there was a sense where it wasn't violent or uncertain? And many people 
come from that block where there's been a sense where that's been betrayed, where it wasn't safe, where they could say, I've got to hide even in my own home. And so the question for safety for people and all of us is, am I safe in the world? The third slide that I'm sharing is significance. All of us when we're little need to say and know we're significant. Do you know when a kid comes running in and they want to show you something? How are you responded? Were you welcome to hear that story or were you ignored or pushed aside? And every child wants to feel like they are unique. And you can look at family of origin and, and the number of people in your family, like I'm number four out of four. I kind of feel like sometime it was like, oh, he's still around. You know, sometimes we feel in our family of origin that we were noticed and sometimes we weren't noticed. Do you matter? Did you matter? Nobody did this intentionally, by the way. These, these, these things just happen and we receive the messages that come to us, but they shape who we are because every child wants to be seen and heard. And quite frankly, every 95-year-old wants to be seen and heard too. But how does it get played out in your life later on? Are you still trying to be seen? Are you still trying to be heard? And is that inner child calling out, do you have people who you can actually look at in the eye and they see you and hear you, no matter what you say? And so the, the question for significance is, am I important? Well, of course, we all seek importance. The fourth is power and agency. We all have this sense when we're little and we're in, in our younger years, we say, am I powerless or do I have power? What do I do with what I got? How can I use the power that I have? Do I hold power over someone? Do I have agency to change the things I want to change? Do I misuse the power that I have? Or am I always rebellious and angry with my power? Do you ever see in the media right now so much polarization, so much toxic anger coming out in our political world where this is being played out again and again and again, the issue of power and agency? And I wonder sometimes, where does it go back to when people are treating each other with such horrific toxicity? So we say to ourselves with this one, how did we experience power as a child? Did we feel powerless or did we feel that we had a sense of rootedness and who they were and how they could change the things around them? The last block in this foundation, we're just building a block for all of us. All of us have these. What was the sense of understanding? Did you have a sense that you were understood? Did you have a sense when you'd say, why? The people honored that question and helped you to understand, I need to know why, I need to know why. And that's an important part as a child to have that sense of curiosity and wonder. Or were you dismissed? Were you treated as though you did not matter and therefore couldn't trust? And so understanding is at the core of each and every one of us to raise questions and to be understood. And so the question becomes, am I understood? And we say that as an adult, even today, am I understood? And what is the origin of the foundation of these pieces? So in the work that I was doing, I'm showing this to you because I'm inviting you to reflect in your own life. Did you experience belonging? How did safety and significance and power and understanding part of your story? What, what blocks were cracked and how does it get played on in your life right now? Because Carl Jung says, what we resist will persist. 
What we resist and say no to looking at will continue to persist. And the invitation for young, and I believe Jesus, by the way, and I'll get to in a second, is all about consciousness. The religious traditions, all of them, doesn't matter the religious tradition, all are about consciousness, waking up, seeing, being mindful. And in all of that work, the invitation is to take the wounds that we have, the cracks that we have, and see them as part of us. You see, wounds have more power if they're hidden. And the goal is to have a conscious mind. Have a conscious mind to look at ourselves before we look at others so that we can indeed be whole as we are meant to be. Okay, so what does this mean? This means that as I looked at mine, and I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I would, I realized that belonging was so significant to me as a kid. For me, for 62 years, I've been looking for home. Almost every day, I search for home. And I'm trying to think, well, how did that happen? And in the conversation with Dan, I was remembering that as a kid, when I was four years old, I had an operation for intussusception. Now, back in those days, they just carve you open. I could show you my scar if you want. If you want to see after, I could show you. Big scar down your stomach, and they patch it back together, and you stay in the hospital for two weeks, and your mom and dad go home. Not like the way it is now. And my brother says to me, I remember you, us visiting you in the hospital, and you screaming out loud, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. I don't have any memory of that. He told me, and I feel it in my body. And I feel it in my body, and I've known it my entire life. Because so often I return to that place when there's a disruption in my life. Or even as I innocently remembered joyfully as a kid, my, we have a cottage in Ontario, and the guy across the lake, Ken, would invite me for a sleepover. It'd be three in the afternoon. I'd say, sure, I'm coming. I'd pack up the things, and after dinner, I'd paddle across the lake, and we'd have a fire out there with his family, and then I could see it was getting dark. And I'd say, I got to go home. <laughs> and I'd pack everything in the canoe, and I'd paddle off. See you in the morning. Sleepovers, being away from home, and my mother, I was a mama's boy, are at the core of my being. Because at the core of my being, there's something about home. And it's not my mother. It's not a physical place. But there's a core of me that yearns to belong, to know that you're in the safe, right place, that you have a sense of knowing that this is your place. And if I look at my life and map it all out, I can point to times when I was disrupted in life where that same feeling, get that, not thinking, feeling comes back in my body. You can actually feel it, and I can point it along the way. And how it comes to me is I know that when I'm laying in bed, I actually cuddle as tight and squished up as I could possibly be in a mother's womb, if you will, to this place of home. And I know it physically in my body because I have a spiritual director who works with me and worked with me to help me get this. Because so much of our life, we want to push it away, deny it, pretend it doesn't exist, and it comes back out in how we lived. And he said, you know what? This feeling of homelessness is part of your life, and you've got to own it. And so in a process, he invited me through focusing to simply 
imagine and remember what that is like and instead of pushing that ache and that pain and that yearning and that searching away to actually close my eyes and welcome it in as part of my body and I can almost see this black blob suddenly become part of me as homelessness and home come together and in time there's calm and peace and home. And it's a practice I will continue till my very last breath, I'm sure. But it's part of who I am. And I don't care whether it's safety or belonging or understanding, whatever it is, these wounds are part of life. We think we should get through life unscathed, wrong. We think that we should, we're all perfect, wrong. We all have wounds and we all have a foundation that has been shaken or cracked at times. And that's how it comes to, you're saying, well, I thought this was a church service. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus, in the text you heard a few moments ago, the resurrection story, he comes back and he says, take a look at my wounds. Touch my hands, my side, my feet. The wounds of the resurrected Jesus are present. They're not perfect. They are present. Just like I could show you my wound and I can touch my wound that has healed but is still part of me. And so we worship a God who's not perfect, but a God who is deeply wounded and healed and resurrected just like we are too. God is a wounded healer. God is a wounded God. God didn't bring back, God was not brought back, resurrected anew, but rather scarred. That's why my favorite passage at weddings is this. It's not about the love of the couple, they think it is, but it's not. Now I see in a mirror dimly, then I see face to face. Now I know in part that I'm fully known. You see, the gift of this is God wants us to be fully known and to be fully known by God so that when we fully known our scars and our wounds and we recognize them and see them, we can love and live in the world, love, forgiven, and set free. And that passage is saying we're all wounded. Congratulations. And it's God who helps heal us so that we can move into the world as wounded healers. Well, you might say it this way, and somebody said in our worship planning this weekend, I love it. What if, what if, what if, what if the purpose of religion, good religion, what if the purpose of the church is this church, is that we help people heal? What if we say, this is a place you belong. This is a place you are significant. This is a place you're understood. This is a place you have power and agency. What if this is a safe place? Imagine if the words, the songs, the music, the sermons, everything embodied some element of that so that you sensed that that's who I am and you own your wound and you move into this world to live that love in the world. I think that's so important to consider. Because good religion should remind you you belong, that you are significant, you do have a story, you're understood, you have power, you have agency and safety. And there's a sense that all of that is the wounds we share and we live in the world. We become victims of things we cannot name. But when we name them and see them and own the wounds we have through paying attention we suddenly see that it is from that place of healed that we then move to heal the world. 
If you aren't religious and you think that's bunk, you could say, well, it's this. We suddenly see with consciousness, our eyes opened, our hearts opened, and it's in that consciousness that we're awake to live and love in the world. I don't know about you, but I kind of think the church is about reparenting. All parents do their best, but good religion should reparent us so that we know that we belong, that we know all of those blocks that are cracked are just the way they are, and you cracked, and me cracked, are just as we are, wounds and all. And that's why last week I said we are loved, forgiven, and set free. Dare to believe it, because I'm trying hard to. And I believe that Jesus was the wounded one, wasn't perfect, but wounded. And I believe that part of why we do good religion is so that we can have wounds healed and see wounds and then move into the broken, wounded world to live love and compassion, trusting that we are washed over with amazing grace. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.